Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast by Sweetwater. I'm your host, Mitch Gallagher. Thanks so much for joining us today. This time out, we'll be sitting down for a conversation with Paul Reed Smith, the namesake of Paul Reed Smith Guitars. Paul founded PRS as a company in 1985, the same year he debuted the first PRS custom model guitar at the NAMM show. Since then, he's guided PRS guitars to become one of the world's leading guitar companies. He continues as CEO to this day and remains intimately involved with the design and manufacture of all of PRS's wide range of electric and acoustic guitars, as well as amplifiers, pedals, and accessories. Paul was here at Sweetwater for our annual GearFest celebration, and as we were having this conversation, he just finished introducing two new guitars to Sweetwater's sales engineers, the NF53 and the Miles Kennedy Signature model. In this episode of the Plugged In Podcast, Paul and I will discuss these new guitars, as well as dig deep into what makes a guitar great, from resonant frequencies to tone woods. Paul is never shy about sharing his opinions and convictions with guitars, and few have spent as much time or effort understanding tone as he has, so get ready for a wide-ranging conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Plugged In Podcast by Sweetwater. Settle in, and let's get started. Paul, it's great to have you join us here. Glad you're here for Gear Fest this weekend at Sweetwater. It's a virtual Gear Fest, but Gear Fest, I can't believe I'm here. I'm like, I like being here. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people so far. Good, good. And you were doing uh, the uh, morning meetings with the sales engineers this morning. Yeah. So, so far, I've talked to two-thirds of them. The next last third's tomorrow. We've been doing high-level guitar-making concepts, you know, my commitment here is to always been to try and teach people not just all the specs of the guitars, but actually how they work. You know, and they'll get into uh, immediately how do each brands of truss rods work? How to how does how do how do you uh, calculate fret scales? They want to know it all, which is cool. Right, right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. It's an interested audience. Certainly. I would say more than interested, yeah. They were very quiet and absorbing this morning. I liked it. Well, they do it for themselves, but also because they're going to take that information. Yeah. And when they're talking to their customers, uh, they'll be uh, able to to have the knowledge to, to so, speak with authority. So this morning, we talked a lot about the whistle that a pickup makes. If you listen to the bass pickup on a Strat, there is a note that's in every note you play. The mm -hmm. pickup's actually whistling about 14 dB at some note, just like an EQ on a console. <laughs> and so we got into that, and then they started to be able to analyze. It was like your training, you know, analyze what the note coming out of the amp was, what was the note coming out of the pickup, what was the difference of the note coming out of the guitar, what part was coming from where. And we put a mic in front of the amp and had it dead flat in the room, so it was just literally an amplifier. It wasn't an EQ of any sort. And um, the remarkable part is the PA in that room is so good, you could hear the difference in the bass note on everything. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it, was, it was wonderful for them to be able to decipher it with their own ears. It wasn't just me talking about it we were doing demos we were doing shootouts it was fun mm -hmm. so what you're saying is there's actually like a resonant frequency in the pickup itself absolutely that's, that's always there yeah, the bass pickup of a strat has like 15 db note at around 11k it's blisteringly loud hmm. the problem is that the louder the resonant note the energy has to come from something so it steals it from the bass there's no 
battery in the guitar. Right. So if it's got a resonant whistle, it's going to take it from another area of the energy. That's the way it works. I mean, if it was an active system, you could just add it, right? Like sure. in an EQ, but it's, it's not the way it works. It's, it works like a passive EQ. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with a, with a humbucker? With oh, God, any, yes. Any type of, so with a the humbucker, then you have two coils, though. What if they're a different frequency? Well, typically they're usually not. Uh-huh. But what's interesting is that everybody thinks a humbucker sounds like a humbucker and a single coil sounds like a single coil because one's a humbucker, one's a single coil. But it's not true. A jazz bass has two single coil pickups in humbucking, sounds like a single coil. A P bass is a humbucking pickup, but it sounds like a single coil. A strat in the middle position, treble position, where you have one out of phase magnetically and one out of, the other one out of phase electrically, is in complete humbucking. But it sounds like a single coil. Therefore, it is possible to make humbucking pickups that sound indistinguishable from single coils, which what which is the new thing we release tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, now you drop that big hint. What are you releasing tomorrow? It depends on when this video is coming out. This podcast is coming out. It'll be after tomorrow. Okay. So the <laughs> NF53 and the Miles Kennedy uh, signature model come out tomorrow. So tell us about those. Well, they're a different sound for us. Mm-hmm. Um they have a. They're not at the same notes I was talking about with with single coil strat pickups, but it's an industry standard sound, and we have gotten really good with TCI, which is tuned capacitive inductive technology to tune the note exactly where we want it. And these things are quiet as a mouse. They're dead quiet. Sometimes. I'll give you the worst example. A P90 in a club, sometimes the hum's louder than a guitar. Right. I mean, we call it hum's like a banshee, you know. <laughs> but it's possible now to make a P90 that makes no noise without a stack. Hmm. So, But you have to look at history. Leo Fender knew this. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done the jazz bass. He knew it. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating, actually. I wouldn't yeah. do it with a stack. We did it in a different way. Right, right. So the the TCI technology is is that what allows you to shape that resonant frequency, what you call the whistle? Yeah. To voice the guitar. Absolutely, voice the pickup. Voice the pickup. Okay. Okay. Look, no matter what mic you put on Barbara Streisand, she's not going to sound like Paul Rogers. There, and that's just the way it is, right? Uh, but that's the microphone. The pickups are a microphone. Sure. Look, some guitars make clear vowel sound. Some guitars go that's an E sound. And you know, all these different vowel sounds. The prominent the prominent vowel sound of the guitar is almost unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do a lot of work to get the vowel to be the right vowel. And then you want this magnetic microphone called a pickup to EQ the guitar the way you would enjoy it. Uh, it's complicated. You know, recently I found a, an equivalent in hi-hats. The bottom hi-hat symbol has two notes, the the low note and the high note. And the high one usually has a higher low note and a higher high note. Mm-hmm. And then when you hit it, you're hitting four notes at the same time. It's almost unequable. Right. Because there's so many combinations of harmonics going on. And you can take the bass out of it and you can add a resonance to it, but you're not going to change the initial character of it, right? Very complicated device. Mm-hmm. Um same thing with guitars, and we were just going over all that with everybody and giving them ear training so the sales engineers could understand um, that. I'll give you another example. I, it's not well known, but a 53 Blackguard Telly and a 58 
Les Paul with P, with uh, PAFs in it sound almost exactly the same on the treble pickup. Mm-hmm. And we did that and showed them today. Their jaws were on the floor, which I, not really, but it was kind of highly informative. Actually, musicians who own those guitars know that. Mm-hmm. The treble pickup on an old PAF is really bright. Right. But it's not, I mean, people don't think of it that way, but, and there's actually a thickness to an old Telecaster pickup that's not in a 60s Tele pickup. Mm-hmm. So we were just going through all that and then comparing it to our guitars. And when I'm here, I'm much more about teaching about guitars in general than I am about teaching about our guitars. Because if they learn something from us about guitars, then they go, oh, well, then they must have incorporated that in their products. Look, what I want is a professional piece of gear right out of the box. Sure. And that's what Sweetwater wants. Mm -hmm. And... You know, that's why I keep coming here and coming here and coming here because, uh, you know, our boomerang rate is pretty low, which is the guitar goes out and comes back because people aren't happy with it. It's pretty, it's really low. And I, I don't, I want people ecstatic that they have it. Right. Look, the fireman came to me in town and said, after the people and the animals are out of the house, we're hearing more for them screaming for the guitars in the photographs. And that day, I thought we were doing a good job. That day, I thought, because they were basically saying, for them, the guitars are heirlooms. Sure. Right, right, right. I I have to circle us back because I'm fascinated by this. I remember the last time you were here, you were here in my office, and you went down the row of guitars that are hanging on the wall here, and you said, oh, that's an E, that's a uh, Yeah, we do vowel sounds. R- right. Is there one that's desirable? Is there something that... Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, vocal. Right. Absolutely, ah. Uh. Not, ooh, that's hard to get rid of. Uh-huh. <laughs> a dolphin, that's no good. Right. I- I'm sorry, you've heard a dolphin before, right? <laughs> yeah. Where the string's choking out. <laughs> right. It's not yeah. good. Gacky, I call it. Well, we, we call it the plinks. Uh-huh. It, the guitar's got the plinks. It goes, Bink! instead of, da, you, you want an ah note. Right. right. I mean, that is the goal. So a, that, a choir sound. Right. So somewhere in that 500 to mm, 1K. It's, more, it's, got, it's got harmonics in it. Yeah. So you, you don't want that 500 note with the tone control turned off. You, you need all the harmonic content. Just because the root note's 500 doesn't mean it goes, ah, Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the same as ah, it's same as ah, it's the same note. I'm just changing the harmonics of my voice. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's kind of like a wah wah pedal. Right. So did the, I did I do that? I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> so the defining factor then of that is the is that the wood combination that creates that tone? Is oh, it the? I, I wish I could just blame it on the wood. If we put a rubber nut and a rubber bridge on it, it's going to really affect the eye note, right? Uh-huh. If, all you have to do is exaggerate it, and you start to get a handle on it. Look, a lot of guitars, the nut is made out of the same material you hook your toilet to your septic tank, septic tank with. Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think that's going to make an eye note? I mean, industry standard in an acoustic guitar is bone, mm-hmm. because... Those guitar makers have decided of all the materials that they've futzed with, that's the best one. So it's a combination of a pile of things. Where the string starts to vibrate, which is the bridge, and Mm -hmm. ends vibrating, which is the nut, is incredibly important. But this long A-weighted thing with tuning pegs and frets in different places has an impact. Um, 
I mean, if you coat the whole guitar with GE clear silicone caulk, it's not going to vibrate very well. But the internet says that doesn't matter, so I guess you <laughs> Do each his own on that topic. But uh. Well, no, I'm bringing it up on purpose because if you exaggerate it, yeah. okay, we'll have a balsa wood neck and a balsa wood fingerboard that's only three-eighths of an inch thick, and we're going to make it a 40-inch scale. Now, you think that long, long neck with made out of balsa wood, the guitar is going to have a good acoustic tone? You would think not. Now, okay, okay. <laughs> all you have to do is exaggerate it to... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sounding like NPR. Oh, yeah. Um, exaggerate it to make the point. But all the things make a difference. And to take the wood drying and the wood selection and the finishing away from a guitar maker as if it doesn't matter would be like telling somebody they're going to make a violin in Cremona and the woods don't make any difference. It's only the microphone that you mic the violin with. I just don't buy it. Mm -hmm. I could tell you story after story after story of the internet telling us how to make guitars and they knew better. But sometimes they do, mostly they don't. It depends. Mm -hmm. It's a very complicated equation. And you got a few years experience doing it. Well, look, what's my job? The artist is standing there. There's a boat of 20 guitars, and I want him to go for our guitar. Now, if we haven't done our job, he's not going to go after our guitar. And I've had plenty of times where somebody said, I'm, I want to start playing a different brand because I'm getting a tone that I wasn't normally getting. And I have to address the issue, you know. So that's my world. You know, John Mayer showed up on my doorstep because he needed a guitar to sound like Jerry Garcia. Mm -hmm. He had one that was close, but not what he needed. What a fascinating thing that was. I mean, Carlos Santana didn't need a new guitar when I saw him, but he got mad at me. He goes, I love my guitar, but I have to do something now because this thing sounds like a tenor saxophone to me. It doesn't sound like a soprano or an alto. It's got this big, thick tone in it. For him, that's what he wanted. Mm -hmm. Carlos Santana extraordinary musician he can play the last person in the very back of the hall who's going to the bathroom with a beer and they're singing the melody oh my god is he good yeah 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 and part of that is the sound i mean that's what enables him to play and the instrument if you go he's backstage using. he's practicing melodies all night long yeah. before the show right when john mayer was at my place he was singing melodies all day long mm -hmm. these people are melody machines you know it's extraordinary right. i mean you know Mark Tremonti's got one of the biggest jazz records on the planet right now, singing Frank Sinatra songs. Have you heard this stuff? I have not heard it yet, but I've oh, heard about it. Please, please put it up. <laughs> <Okay>. It's extraordinary. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And everybody's like, you're kidding me, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. And then you hear it and you go, holy crap, that's really good. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, you don't get the the endorsement of the family and the orchestra and be the new singer for the orchestra because you're not very good. That's not the way it works. Right. Right. Oh, he's killing it. Oh, that's nice. I'm going to check it out. That's yeah. awesome. So speaking of artists, uh, you mentioned NF3, but also you have the Miles Kennedy signature yeah. now. Yeah. Tell us the story. Where, how did that come about? I know Miles has been part of the PRS family for a while, right? Miles has a very interesting job. He plays in Slash's band, mm -hmm. he plays in his own band, and he plays in Alter Bridge, which are really, two of those three bands are his band. But, um, And he has a need for single coil and humbucking tones all night long in both bands. And I got a chance, which is online, to play Rise Up 
or I think that's the name of the song, um, with the band. And Mark Tremonti did the sweetest thing. He took me backstage and spent 25 minutes teaching me this pretty complicated tune. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of modern chords in it. And I got it. I had it about 20 minutes in. He said, let's try it one more time. You know, got done. So when I walked out on stage, I had the tune. And I, instead of staring at him, which I would have done, and stared at the neck to make sure I had the tune right, I put my back to him and went after Miles. And Miles was playing this new guitar. And the tone that was coming out of this guitar was extraordinary. And I was very taken by it. I went, oh, my God, that thing sounds different than anything I'd ever heard. And he had spent two years with us honing this design to do what he wanted to, to do, and I had not had a chance to hear it through his rig live. Mm-hmm. What was interesting for me is that when he sang the first verse an octave down, a huge amount of bass was coming out of the PA, but when he sang it an octave up, all this high mid-range register stuff was coming out of his throat, and there was not as much bass, and it was beautiful what he did. His throat is an that whole thing is a musical instrument all by itself, but the guitar was killing it. Mm-hmm. So he's got a guitar that's that'll do all of it. It's kind of a multi-pronged device. It's cool. Right, right. Now, did you design specific pickups for him? For Those, him? We used the narrow fields as a bass um, bobbin size, and with magnet, mag, not magnetic pull pieces, steel pull pieces, put the magnet underneath, but we tuned the coils exactly the way we wanted and the way he wanted. We went through an awful lot of prototypes. Bev and Rich and Miles just worked together, and I just kept making prototype after prototype until he was happy. Right. So it's a matter of tuning the coil so that you can get that single coil sound. Out of a humbucking. Out of a humbucking yeah, pickup, look, right. Turns out, if you've ever single coiled a humbucking, you can hear what one coil sounds like. Mm-hmm. And it's not that much different than both coils. You ever notice that? Okay, so that is the sound of one coil. If you get one coil exactly the what you want when you put two of them on, it's pretty close. It's louder. Sure. Um, but you got to tune it so that it rings at the note you want and at the volume. If you have an EQ set at 2K and you only have it up a dB, there's not a lot going on. You crank it up 20 dB, it's too much going on, right? So you've got to set the amplitude right, the Q right, and the frequency right. It's just like a, it's a mechanical parametric equalizer in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And the string's trying to do its job. If I take a set of strings and put it on two guitars, and then I switch them, you don't hear a difference in a guitar. The string's trying to do its job. The guitar is shutting some of the frequencies down. The guitar isn't actively taking away stuff. It's mechanically taking away stuff. So if the guitar doesn't have any high end, something's deadening it. If it doesn't have any mid-range, something's deadening it. If it doesn't have any bass, something's deadening it. The string is trying to go nuts. Right. It's trying to do its job. You know, Jim Daddario and all the string makers doing a fantastic job making harmonic creators. They're mm-hmm. doing a great job. Mm-hmm. I called Jim once. I said, you're making a hell of a product. He goes, what do you mean? I said, we just got the guitar to be more harmonically rich. The string was always trying to drive it that way. Mm-hmm. I think he liked the call. I don't know. I would bet. Yeah. I would hope so. Look, <laughs> I would bet. They make a lot of strings. Yeah, yeah, for lots of different instruments. Yeah. So the goal then in that particular scenario, is to basically uncover what the string's doing, to to stop the guitar from taking that, away from yeah, the strings. Yeah, the guitars are subtractive. They're trying to shut it down. Right. If a, look, at the raw, basic, 
beginning. A guitar that rings for 14 seconds is not as good as a guitar that rings for 45 seconds. Period. End of story. Out of here. In an old P bass, they used to have this cover over the bridge, mm-hmm. and if you took it off, there was a piece of heavy foam that deadened the string, so it went doom, doom. Boom, ba-doop, doop, doop. First thing people do, take the cover off, throw the piece of foam away, and you know, da, you know, they want it to ring. Yeah. I don't think it's a good idea to have a guitar that only rings 14 seconds. Something shutting that string down. You want something that rings like crazy. If you want to shut it down, deaden it with your hand, the palm of your hand. I mean, you know, but you don't want it. You don't want to have to force it to keep vibrating if you notice acoustic guitar players that play solos normally go because the note dies so quickly actually a really good acoustic guitar will ring about 45 seconds too it's just the initial attack of the note is so loud right that they need to get onto the next note otherwise you don't hear it there's no compressor a guitar amp a tube guitar amp is a form of compressor mm-hmm. it's it's Turning up the, the the stuff that's quieter over time and turning down the initial attack note. Especially once you get into clipping or yeah, well, yeah. Over, overdrive or distortion. Look, some of these people say single coils are just barely driving the amp because if they turn it up, the gain up any higher, the hum gets louder in the guitar. So they've learned how to just get the amp to start to break up and that's their tone. Mm-hmm. All right. It's fascinating. Yeah. Well, that's interesting stuff. I mean, sustain is, you can't add sustain as a player. I mean, well, you can if you a, put a, a compressor pedal on it. But, but as the player yourself with your hands on the guitar, it's pretty tough no. to extend the sustain of no, the, and uh, the guitar. Look, an incredibly good guitar player can make sound like them no matter what guitar they're holding. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you got to remember that Clapton played a 335 with nylon saddles for a long time. And if you change that to brass saddles, which we did in every repair shop I worked in, the guitar always sustained more. But he was so good, it always sounded like him. Right. There's a story of Eric Clapton sitting in with a band, and the tech was really scared. Because all he had was a bandmaster top and a single 15 in a board below the below his work area to tune guitars. Mm-hmm. He didn't have another amp. So he turned the board around and turned the bandmaster all the way up and gave the guitar to Eric. This is the way the story goes. I don't know if it happened, but it's a story. They plugged into the bandmaster and the guy felt so relieved from the first second. It sounded just like Eric. <laughs> I, you know, I've Eric Johnson sounds like Eric Johnson playing an acoustic guitar. Carlos Santana sounds like Carlos Santana no matter what. Mm-hmm. It's in their hands. It's in their souls. This sound is emitting from them. It's powerful stuff. What I'm trying to do is make a better tool so they can be themselves. That's what I'm trying to do. Right. I I don't know. There's this whole world is what have you done for me lately kind of thing. Oh, well, we bought one of those last week. What else you got new? (laughs) I'm like, well, what was wrong with what you had last week? I'm bored. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Sure. Uh, uh, just, I'm going to melt right here. Oh, it's the fun of it. Come on. Um, I'll tell you what's not fun. When an extraordinary thing comes out, like for us, the NF3, and we got awarded Guitar of the Year from every magazine in the world, and we couldn't sell them. And now you can't find one because Jimmy Herring's playing one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't give a straight away till Hendrix picked it back up. Oh, my God. 
right. world changed. Couldn't yeah. give a, couldn't give a Les Paul away until a guy named Slash picked one up. I mean, it it does happen. Right. What have you got from me? Oh, he's doing it. Oh, I remember. We were always with good with it. You know, <laughs> give me a break. It's not the way it works. <laughs> Listen, at one point, Jaguars, Jazz Masters, Mustangs, all that were overwhelmingly what Fender makes. Strats and Tellys weren't being made. Not really. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting, huh? Yeah, it cycles back around. What do, you, what do you got for me lately? So we talked about some of these really detailed parts of the guitar that make such a big difference. What about on the amplifier side of it? Is there a, a corresponding thing to the to the Absolutely. pickup whistle and all that kind of stuff? I mean, Absolutely. Obviously, you've been digging into the amplifier realm so for years. So when we did the demos this morning, we plugged into the Hendrix 20. Mm-hmm. Sound like Hendrix. You could hear the bass note. You could hear the mid-range note and the treble note that was on all the records. It was right there. <sighs> Look, when we opened that amp, our jaws hit the floor. It was everything that the internet said it was going to be from the guy that had repaired it. And when we made the circuit, it sounded just like him. The bass pickup sounded like a treble pickup. I was like, what in the hell? I mean, and I watched videos. He was using the bass pickup, but it didn't sound that way. You know, in those guitars he played, that treble pickup sounded like an ice pick. So it makes sense that he would use the bass pickup Mm -hmm. and the middle pickup, right? What a unbelievably good guitar player but yes when you're talking about amps of course there are some amps out there like diesels and archons where we intentionally put these whistle notes in the amps Hmm. and there are amps that we have that are just incredibly even across the whole spectrum like a sansera so it depends we didn't add anything to the circuit we opened at paul allen's museum we just did a dead version of it it was not a JTM 45. It was not a 50. It was not a 100. It was somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And they had done everything in their power in that amp to get the four quad power tubes to not blow. They'd lowered the voltages. They'd done a pile of things to make sure that it was roadworthy. That was kind of interesting. Very. Um, but the tone that came comes out of that 20, I've seen a whole bunch of people in the Sweetwater building that have 20s in their offices. Mm-hmm. And, you know... We'll see how it goes. What an amp. The hard part was getting the parts that sounded the same and getting the transformer to sound the same, the output transformer. The rest of it was fairly straightforward. That was the circuit we saw. Yeah. Well, I would imagine as you go from a 20 to a 50 to a 100 with other amplifiers, there's a noticeable difference in the girth and the... Except a 100-watt power supply in a Marshall is different than the 50-watt power supply different than a 20 watt power supply we put the same exact power supply in all three of them Hmm. so that they would sound the same and i never understood why 50s always sounded so different than hundreds and still i until i started putting 100 watt power supplies in 50s not in terms of the amount of current that they can handle but in terms of the sizes of the capacitors and all that stuff and it worked like a charm that 20 has exactly the same circuit as we opened up it's just that uh, the power tubes can't, and the output transformer can't do more than about 25 watts. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating to me. I always thought it was the tubes. But on a 100 watt, if you pulled two of the tubes out, it never sounded like a 50. Right. So that wasn't it. Right. I mean, there's so many questions in our industry. Why, 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 why? I've always pointed to the transformer. That that the was, output that transformer? That was, yeah, that was the big difference. It's not just that. I would imagine not. Right? It's not just that. But it has a lot to do with it. Look... What we found out is these people knew what they were doing, and they made these transformers, and they were setting up for the output impedance of the tubes 
to go down to um, 16, 8, and 4 ohms. And if you put KT66s in an amp that was wired for EL34, it's not going to sound right. Mm-hmm. If you put two tubes in an amp that was designed for the output impedance of four tubes, it's not going to sound right. But the power supply needs to be the same. Mm-hmm. And we found, we, we duplicated the power supply cap values that we found and, and voltages that we found in that amp. So does that affect, I, I imagine it affects multiple things, but I could see it definitely changing the, the headroom of the amplifier because of the available power from that power supply and yes, the way that- Yes, it changes the, the headroom. If you have 206 volts on the first preamp tube or 175 volts, the headroom completely changes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but we were looking at all the parts and making it the same. Right. Look- I wasn't going to turn that amp on and have it blow up at the, <laughs> at the thing. So we right. we measured everything, but we never turned it on um, because I didn't want to be responsible for, you know, burning it up. These parts were old. Yeah. It, look, right next to the amp where we opened it up was Mitch Mitchell's drum set from, from um, Woodstock. You know, they had collected so much stuff from that event. Mm-hmm. That was so cool. That's so cool. That's so awesome. But it was not a straight 100-watt top. No way. Mm-hmm. They had done a bunch of things to change it. Mm-hmm. It was pretty rat's nesty inside. Mm-hmm. It was like, look, look at a rat's nest. But they had it working, and they had it not blowing output tubes. So, you know, we put on the back of the amp a way to adjust the bias on the back of the amp. They didn't have that, and they didn't have the... The special bias adjusters, they were popping four tubes in and praying. Right. If you're on the road, yeah. you're not going to take the whole amp apart when the when the quad goes. It melts orange. Right. And they, what do they call it? Going going cherry is what they call it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. Fascinating. So it, it, it makes me wonder then, so what would be a situation, volume, just pure volume aside, where would the 100 be recommended then over the, the 20? What would be the, the if, if they sound the same, they have the same. If you want to experience what he experienced, buy 100. Got to have the 100, Look, I know, right. We didn't even put a master volume on the 150 because we want it to be the dead same amp. That was his PA system. Mm-hmm. They didn't mic that. That was the PA in the room. The, I mean, they were micing the vocals and the drums. I mean, the drums are an acoustic instrument. Mm-hmm. People seem to forget that. Four 12s with another cabinet on top with another four 12s on a 100-watt amp or 200-watt amps going, that's a PA system. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You could, If you hit a chord, you'll hear that through the entire arena. Right. It was a PA. I heard at one point from some of the people around Steve Ray Vaughan, actually from Renee Martinez, that it was so loud they didn't have to mic him in the shed <laughs> it wasn't in the PA it, uh, can you imagine being that loud uh, not anymore <laughs> back in the day that's, that's what you but had but that was do. his PA got me but even even at the level that I, I grew up playing yeah the, the PAs were not fantastic yeah but for now day, if so. you have a recording studio you can put the 50 or the 100 in the other room and run a cable in your, your home and that's how you're going to get the tone right but I've got so many artists using that Hendrix 20, they don't want to sound like Hendrix. They want to sound like themselves. Mm -hmm. But it's doing the job for them. They just find it unbelievably pedal board friendly. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And and gig friendly because so many gigs now yeah. you, you can't go in at unbearable volume levels anymore. Yeah, well, you can turn your in-ears up so you can't hear anymore. Well, there's Look, that. <laughs> uh, well, wait, think about that for a minute. You have two speakers in your ear canals. Yes, you do. Oh, my God. That's not just a monitor. That's a monitor's monitor. Yep, yep. Whew, hold on, everybody. I, I you had, want your ears to ring? I had Dr. Michael Santucci in here for a podcast. That'll, uh, I'm not sure when that'll it'll post, but we yeah. talked a lot about that, about how in-ears work and the dangers and the benefits of, of those. So maybe tune in when that one runs well, because well, it's, it's fascinating. My experience has been you need good in-ears, one, and mm-hmm. two, have them the send they send you don't have them have it cranked so much so that you have some range on the knob that it's not too loud right after you crack it on so some of these bands are so loud that the people have the pack off and they forget the pack is off and they go i wonder why i can't hear the vocal as well as i usually can <laughs> it's still blisteringly loud yeah i'm sorry snare drums are loud if you haven't been near one recently <laughs> I was sitting in with a band, and Derek Trucks was there. And I said, Derek, should I wear my ear protection? And he goes, oh, yeah. And I said, why? He said, it's not the guitar, it's the bass. It's unbelievably loud. <laughs> the tune started, every red light on my pack lit up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, it's 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 um, the the NFL of it's the NFL of the music business. Yeah, right. In the NFL, supposedly the first time somebody gets hit, they mm-hmm. come off the field. They don't know who they are. They don't know what team they play for. They're still standing, and somebody puts their mouth in their little hole in that side of the helmet and says, Welcome to the NFL. <laughs> didn't know who they are, didn't know what team they were on, didn't know what the play was, didn't know anything. Wow. They got hit so hard. Wow. And you got to remember, they've been getting hit since they were in PAL football. Mm-hmm. This is not a new experience, but the NFL was a new experience. That's the way I look at it when I when we built the Hendricks 100-watt amp. This was, this was his PA. Mm-hmm. Stunning. Right. One of the interesting things about that, though, is that at volumes like that, there's a whole different relationship physically between the guitar and the amplifier and the speaker. Well, every it changes, you, changes the whole response of the guitar. Every note you play will Ebo. Yeah. We had that happen once. We were at a vintage guitar show, and we had Eric Johnson had two Marshalls there for sale, 50 and 100. And we, we tried the 50, and it sounded Wonderful. Me, Michael, Alt, Johnny Hyland were all playing through it, laughing. It sounded so good. You got to remember, it. for him, it was a let's let it go. For us, we never heard anything like it in our <laughs> lives. Right? And Eric walks in. I tell him how good the 50 sounds. And he goes, the 100's better. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, the 100 is better. Okay. So we go over, huff over, huff over to the booth, grab the amp, hook it up. Plug it in every note boat. Every note fed back perfectly and 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 was like I had an ebo on the guitar. Johnny Hyland and me and Michael were crying laughing. We'd never heard anything like it in our lives. Hmm. And Eric's like, Hunter sounds better. <laughs> you know. But he used to go around the vintage show the night before and go in all the booths and check what was for sale. And you know, we used to all go there and just search for these holy grails of our business and they were in these booths right. hidden away underneath the table or something you know right right 
We weren't going to steal anything. We just wanted to know what was going to go up for sale at 10 in the morning and next morning. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember Eric was on his knees in Jimmy Wallace booth with a mirror looking in a speaker cabinet to see it had the right numbers on the cones because he wanted the speakers. Wow. And I didn't really understand till about 10 years later I called him up and said, what was that number? <laughs> he knew what he was looking for. Yeah. Oh. Have you ever been near his amps when he's playing? I have not. Went out on stage. No. It sounds like a Stradivari violin. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like an electric guitar. It's not of this world. It's of a different... He's got his hands wrapped around a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. I really like Eric. I think he's really something. He's, he's fantastic, yeah. He's a wonderful musician, just wonderful. He uh, So much of that is him, though, because when he's here, he'll plug into a deluxe. Sounds like him. It, it sounds the same. It still has that same quality, like I haven't A-B'd directly, but you know instantly. That is Eric Johnson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know instantly. Same thing with Carlos Santana. Something. You know, I got a chance to ask Joe Walsh because of the Joe Walsh guitar. Mm-hmm. I got a chance to ask him about why did he play so melodic. And he got really quiet on the other end of the phone. He goes... It was the James Gang. I had to play melodies, otherwise it didn't work in a three-piece. I had to play melodies, because then it made sense. Mm-hmm. And then I got to ask him about Hotel California. He says, well, we had the descending parts together, but all the other stuff was off the cuff. And all the other stuff is so melodic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he learned how to play melodic in the James Gang. And to listen to him muse about it, I don't think he'd ever really been pinned down about why are you so melodic it was the james gang paul mm-hmm. he had his phone message and it was leave me a message and maybe i'll call <laughs> i started crying laughing i said how can you do that joseph what else am i gonna say <laughs> i mean you know it was great yeah sure these people that make it in our business it's not an accident that they're brilliant mm-hmm that they play brilliantly. These people that you have pictures all over the walls of, brilliant. I heard Clearmount was here not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Have you ever met him? Oh, yeah, I know Bob well, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. It's the rumors that he did all the Taylor Hawkins mixes, the live mixes. I mean, it sounds like it. It mm-hmm. all sounded good on the TV. Sure. Wow, what a what a what a gentleman and what a brilliant man. Yeah, yeah in an incredible catalog. I mean, just incredible. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. That's what we say. It's stupid good. Stupid good. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a whole tier of people on that level. It's just, it's fascinating to be around them. That's for sure. Can I do a teeny bit of sales work for just a minute? Of course. I don't think people know we make a lot of acoustic guitars, and you guys sell a lot of our acoustic guitars. Mm-hmm. We make three pedals. Now, I know we don't have 100 pedals, but those three pedals are really something. Mm-hmm. Uh we make amplifiers. We've been talking about the Hendrix amps and the Sanzera amp I brought up and I brought the Archon up. We make guitars from private stock all the way down to SEs. There's a lot of stuff that Sweetwater sells of ours. And really, our goal has never been to be a brand. It's always been to be a really pro piece of gear in a box. And when you when it arrives, you're excited and you can't wait to get it open and that the sales engineer the customer, the people at PRS, and the management staff at Sweet were all smiling. That's the goal. Sure. I, I don't. I just want to bring that up because I, I don't think anybody sees us that way. We, we actually make strings and cables and tuners and T-shirts and 
towels, all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff, straps. Yeah. We don't make microphones. No microphones yet. But we No, never. Never? <laughs> but we do make straps, really good ones. I know. I've got them. I bought one when I was at the uh, Canada show the other day because it's the best strap I ever picked up. I was like, oh, I want this. Oh, it's one of ours? Ah, well, <laughs> I paid for it. They had paid for it, so I had to buy it back. <laughs> That's too funny. No, it's true. Yeah. Uh, the, the one product I bought that day was one of ours. Oh, that's awesome. Then I did a, you know, we did a good job. That's awesome. This place has been so good to PRS, I can't even start to begin to explain how the partnership that happened during COVID, and that's just unbelievable what goes on in this building. I w- remember the phone call where you guys hired us, mm-hmm. and we hired you, and I thought it was the beginning of a great relationship. And I started coming here and teaching all the sales engineers about, you know, what not just what is taught in Sweetwater University about guitars, but I wanted to say, this is how the trust rods are put in. This is how we do the frets. This is how we do this. We have to do that. It's important. I, I think that guitars are a big part of the business now mm-hmm. at Sweetwater. And at the time, you were only selling home recording gear. So it's the things place has changed yeah, a lot. Changed pretty dramatically. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. If anybody's not been here, it's worth a visit. My God, uh, it, look what it used to be one building in the middle of a cornfield. Now it's the entire town. <laughs> <laughs> not quite that big. Oh, uh, but you know, well, <laughs> well, it actually, yeah, well, it's a small town. Okay, wait a minute. There's a lot of people. There are a lot of people. There in are 625 yeah. sales engineers. Something like that, yeah. 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 That's unbelievable. And that's just the beginning of the staff. Mm-hmm. Because you're not a sales engineer. I am not. Now, how many videos you been in? 1,500? Oh, more than that. More like 25, 2,600? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a few. I miscalculated by 1,000 videos. <laughs> It keeps me busy, and I get to have fun talking. Look, you're to really good. You're really good at it. Ah, oh, thanks. And the, and you said something twice. You said I'm really interested in in the fundamental basis of this conversation, which I appreciated. So you, you're working on music. I know you 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 talk about sitting in with bands, and you've done albums in the past. You've yeah. had the Paul Reed Smith band. There's, you, there's you, a record that's all done. It's in the can. Dennis Chambers, Gary Granger, Greg Granger, me, Michael Alt, Mia, and a bunch of other people. Bill Nelson. Juju House all worked on a record for three years. It's all done. Nice. We'll see what happens. Right. I, you know, I enjoy that part of my life. I enjoy, I enjoy capturing music. Mm-hmm. You know, being around Dennis has been very interesting. He's a, he's a, I could say a lot about Dennis, but there's a reason why he's one of the best drummers in the world. Mm-hmm. He's actually a very spiritual cat. He sits in the back of the studio and watches over his brood while we're recording. And let me tell you something: if somebody's in, it, it's up, it's their time to bat to uh, <laughs> to do their part. He's watching, and don't think if Dennis Chambers is watching you, you're not nervous. You are. Yeah, no pressure. Except for Gary, because Gary's been playing with him forever. Still. I don't actually don't think Greg's nervous. Greg Granger's nervous playing in front of him. They've been homies forever. Mm-hmm. I live in the land of the drummers. All these great drummers are in Baltimore, D.C. quarter. Great drummers. Not good, great. Because hmm. they got taught Parliament Funkadelic and jazz at the same time. You can play that. You can play anything. Sure. I mean, I you know, D.C. and Baltimore, that's Chuck Brown. That's Parliament. That's the jazz jazzers in Baltimore. They were... 
they were brutal. You didn't know how to swing right. They'd stop in the middle of tune to send you home to go practice. Wow. Oh. <laughs> they do that in Fort Wayne? I have not heard of them doing that. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. They did that in Baltimore. <laughs> Son, you need to go practice. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure. My, Thank you for taking the time. I know it's busy when you're you're here educating the sales engineers and man in the GearFest booth and doing fun. all that good stuff. Look, if somebody's in need of an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar or a price point guitar or whatever, we have an answer. Our our deal is that for the money, we don't we're we don't want you to be able to do better with any other brand. That's that's what we're trying to do. And I think for the most part, Sweetwater after deep examination has come to the same conclusion, I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. Sure. Anyway, so I'm now 2,601 videos. 20, yeah. But this isn't a video. This is a podcast. Audio, yes, and now I'm adding yeah, yeah. podcasts to the total ah, as well. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Always great to see you. Always see you. All right. All right, see you. Bye. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed this installment of the Plugged In Podcast by Sweetwater. Special thanks to Paul Reed Smith for taking time out of his busy schedule to sit down with us for this interview. It's always fun talking to Paul. I highly recommend checking out the latest models from PRS, the NF53 and the Miles Kennedy Signature Guitars. Like all PRS guitars, they're fantastic instruments. Don't hesitate to contact your Sweetwater sales engineer or to visit Sweetwater.com to learn more about these and other PRS instruments and products. For the interview portion of this episode of Plugged In, Paul and I were using Lewitt LCT540S condenser mics routed into a Universal Audio Apollo X4. Paul monitored on Shure SRH 1540 headphones while I used my trusty Focal Clear MG phones. I recorded the in and out segments in my home studio using a Shure SM7B mic to a Royer Labs D-Booster and into a Universal Audio Apollo Twin using all Mogami cables. And I monitored on Neumann NDH20 headphones. Thanks for joining us for Plugged In by Sweetwater. Remember to start at Sweetwater.com for all your music instrument and pro audio needs. I'm Mitch Gallagher, and this has been the Plugged In Podcast by Sweetwater. Sweetwater.